Today, uh, we are continuing to work through Revelation. Today, we're in Revelation chapter 20. We're getting near the end. We will wrap up Revelation next week. No matter what happens today, next Sunday, which will be kind of our, our final Christmas Sunday as the way that we're looking at it, next Sunday we're going to wrap up Revelation and we're going to look at chapter 21 and, and some things about what is ultimately to come. What does this new heaven and new earth look like? How, how is this going to be? Um, but today we're still here in Revelation 20. And so it's interesting. Uh, this week we had our small group meeting and somebody said to me, did you, see the, uh, did you see the new statue that went up in New York? Or I'm sorry, the statue has been there for a month or two, but it's starting to get some press right now. People talked about, did you see the statue in front of the UN building in New York? How many of you have, have heard of anything that I'm starting to talk about? A couple of you. Well, it's interesting. We had to do a little bit of searching to see, okay, is this like real news or is this fake? But, but anyway, I think um, this fall, there was a statue that was donated, and it's in New York City. It's right in front of the UN building, and people are saying it looks an awful lot like the description of the beast that Daniel talks about, and that is then also referred to, apparently, in Revelation. And, and the creature that's in New York, it's a, it's a large statue, and it's got the, the body of a cat. It's got the head of like a lion. Maybe you can kind of look and see that it has the hands of a bear, and it's got these wings, and it's just kind of a wild thing. And people are talking about, oh, is this, is this a statue of a mark of the beast? And the people who made the statue and donated said, no, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It, it signifies world peace and all kinds of different people coming together. But it was interesting to me, as I just did a little bit of research about this statue this week, it's just interesting to me how much of a conversation end time stuff is especially how much of a conversation it happens to be this week. I mean, a lot of this news about this statue just popped up here in the last week or so, but the statue's been there for like two months, if I understand things correctly, if, if, I, if I kind of worked through the dates properly. Why wasn't this talked about when it was first put up? Did, did people on Twitter just not pay attention? I, I don't know. But it's interesting that it's coming up now. And so if any of you want to check it out, just go home and, and just do a quick Google search for the statue at the UN building, and you'll find 17 articles about it. You'll probably find at least one article that has some truth in it. But, but it's interesting. There is, this, there is this piece of artwork there, and, and there are people who are saying, boy, it, it looks kind of interesting. Now, we know... We know that these things talked about in Revelation, the things we've been talking about that, that refer back to Daniel, statues are not necessarily, um, or this kind of statue is not necessarily a harbinger of things to come. But it is interesting to me, again, it's got people talking about the end of the world. Interesting stuff. And so here today, we're going to continue our series that we've been working on from the beginning, because it is interesting and helpful sometimes to think about the end of the world. What does this have to do with Christmas? Hang tight. Hang tight. We'll get there. Okay? So Revelation 20. Here is what John says as he continues on with this vision. He's been seeing all kinds of things. We've been reading for a number of months now about all of the calamities that are going to happen and about how there's judgment that's happening. And I hope that you've heard me say that over and over and over with every one of these judgments and with every, with every kind of pestilence and every plague that comes upon the world, it seems like God continues to reach out and say, turn back to me. God's not doing this because he has some kind of complex that just likes to wipe people out. All of this judgment is coming on the heels of invitation. God says, follow me. Life is in me. Turn away from all your wickedness. Turn away from all your past. That's the invitation. I mean, that's what we're going and telling on the mountain, that Jesus Christ is born, and that because of Jesus, we can be forgiven. All of us, no matter what you have done, no matter what your history is, 
If you're alive today, you have an opportunity to turn to the Lord and turn away from all your other stuff. It's just a simple prayer. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Please forgive me for all that I've done. Help me to turn away from this life of sin that I've been living. That is an invitation that is currently open for all. But what Revelation tells us is that in the very end times, even as God is bringing his judgment upon this evil world, when things are going to be wrapping up, God continues. There's, there's talk of an angel flying through the air saying in all tongues and all languages to all the nations, repent, turn away from all of your sin, turn towards the Lord. God continues to invite. But there comes a time when God says, enough. When all who, have made a who are going to make a decision for God have made that decision. And so we're getting into this section here at the end of Revelation where we see final judgment happening. And here in Revelation, it says this. Revelation 20, verse 1. John says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they'll be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And so there is, there is victory here, but there is judgment here. And if Revelation, the book, stood all by itself, this wouldn't be so difficult to figure out. You just read it from beginning to end. You read it like a novel, and here it goes, and, and everything is just exactly as every word says. However, one of the challenges, as you have seen with reading the book of Revelation, is that Revelation is part of the Bible. And so Revelation is part of this larger book, and we have all of the Old Testament, we have all of the New Testament, and we have the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the early church, and the writings of Peter and Paul and James, and we have all of the scripture, and Revelation is a part of it. And what that means is it is part of a story. It is not the whole story in and of itself. 
And what this means is that sometimes revelation can be difficult to figure out. In these last three months, I have been careful, and I've been encouraging you to be careful, not to get too swept up in every single little detail, because remember, this is a vision given to John by the Lord so that he can talk about the things that are going to come. But these visions sometimes are talked symbolically, sometimes are talked literally, and we see that happen even through Scripture. There is prophecy in the Old Testament that is symbolic. It is not strictly literal. And so sometimes as we read Revelation, these are the challenges that come up. And here in Revelation 20 is one of the passages, not only of Revelation, but of the whole Bible, that is most argued about as to whether all of the things that I just read are to be taken strictly, literally, or whether there is symbolism in there. Because remember, John is talking about a vision that he had. He's talking about signs, and he's talking about symbols. And so there's a question, well, for example, there's this word thousand years, or this term, a thousand years. It's used six times here in, chapter, in verse 2, in verse 3, in verse 4, in verse 5, verse 6, in verse 7. A thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. People say, well, is that, is that a literal 1,000 years, 999 plus 1? Is it, is it literally 1,000 years, like as in 1,000 years ago it was 1021? Or, or is this like a figure for a long period of time? Like, oh, mom and dad talked in church for 10 years today. Or, or they might not, mom and dad talked in church forever today. And there are people, Bible-believing, Christ-following, dedicated people who say, no, this thousand years talked about in Revelation, this is 1,000 years, and it needs to be understood only that way. There are other Bible-believing, Christ-following, devoted people who say, no, this thousand years talked about here is symbolic for a long time. It might actually be a thousand years or four thousand years or ten thousand years, but but folks say it could be just a long period of time. And these are the kinds of debates that have literally, I will speak literally here from it, these kinds of debates have literally split churches. How many of you are familiar with Maple Grove Mennonite Church and or Millwood Mennonite Church? Raise your hand if you have some familiarity with them. In the last hundred years, and this is going way back to, to grandpa's dad's time for a lot of us, debates about this ran deep, 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 deep. In fact, I knew families where this brother really followed this Bible teacher, and they believed that it was a thousand literal years, but this brother followed this Bible teacher, and they believed that this was a figurative period of time, and they could no longer go to the same church together because of what they believed, not only about this chunk of Scripture in Revelation 20, but significantly related to this passage of Scripture in Revelation 20. I know people who had a hard time fellowshipping with each other at family meals in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. I heard these stories from brothers and sisters who have gone before us. People who had a hard time and, and arguments would come up all the time. I don't know, probably none of your family gatherings here at Christmas time will have any tension or any kind of arguments about the things that you believe. I'm sure you all will be perfectly united with everyone around your table. I mean, what would we have to debate these days? 
But I'll bet not too many of your family discussions are going to be about whether you are a premillennialist or an amillennialist or a postmillennialist. Millennialist. We'll get there in a minute. You have other things to talk about, but I know people, godly, God-fearing, Bible-reading people whose families were torn apart because of convictions about this chapter that I just read and what these thousand years mean. That is a shame. Now we know as Christians, there are things that we will absolutely stand upon. There are truths, there are things in the Bible that, that I will stand up to, even if it costs me my life. At least that's my intention, that's my hope. Dear Lord, please give me strength if it comes to that. Jesus is the Son of God, absolutely. This, there is no room for debate about. God created the universe and God created the world and he has a plan for where it's going and, and God will see everything made right. Absolutely. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they exist together. And so there's a God, there's Jesus, and there's the Holy Spirit and they exist together in the Trinity. Absolutely. I will stand on that to my death. The Bible is the word of God. It is trustworthy and helpful and it shows us everything we know, need to know to be saved. Absolutely. I will stand on that to my death. Somebody says, Jesse... Tell me what this thousand years means, or you might lose your life, and I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Because I'll be honest with you, this thousand years piece for me is way down the list of priorities as far as do we have to have it absolutely figured out. This is not, this is not a primary issue. At best, this is a secondary issue, and you will hear me continue to talk about that here at Waterway Church. But there are some people who make this a primary issue, and here's why. Here's why. Because there is some idea that what you figure out about Revelation 20 affects the rest of your theology. And that's a bit of a challenge too. Because if you take one passage that John wrote down from a vision from God and build all of your theology on that, I think you're building your theology from a shaky spot. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. And there are things that are historically already observably true and they've been recorded and written down. And there are things that we know, and there is plenty of that stuff that we agree on that I think can allow us to have wiggle room on exactly what does this thousand years mean. So there's my long preamble. Let's get back into a little bit more of what it says here. So in Revelation 20, it talks about these thousand years. As I said, it's six times in there. So this is no small thing. This is not a, this, this is not a minor piece, but it doesn't have to be the most important piece in our theological framework. But as people kind of divide themselves up, there are three or four main categories. And you may have heard of some of these. I'm just going to touch on them quickly. There's, there's this idea that this thousand years, this millennium, it's called the millennium in many, many theological studies. Oh, and if you're, if you're visiting with us today from another church, or if you've got a deep theological background in another place, boy, God bless you. I hope that you are blessed to be here today. I, re I realize that I may be stepping on your toes or may not be as specific as you'd like to be. I understand. I'm glad you're here. I pray that we'll get to a place where we can continue to worship God together. But there are people who look at this thousand years and, and they've labeled themselves pre-millennialists. Pre-millennials. And, and what that means is that Jesus will, sometime in the future from now, Jesus will return. And here in Revelation 20, it talks about a first death and a second death. That's all future. Jesus will return. There will be a literal 1,000 year reign where Jesus Christ is kind of the king of the world, ruling from Jerusalem. And then there will be a final judgment after that. That's premillennialism. Lots of good Christian folks believe that that's the way to go. And that 
affects a lot of their thinking about the Bible and about the end times. Premillennialism. There's another, if there's a pre, there's got to be a post, right? So there's another group of people. They say, we're post-millennialists. And these people don't take things quite as literally. The premillennialists say, no, thousand years has to be read literally. Revelation 20, read it literally as if it was a newspaper article. Okay? The post-millennialists say, no, read it more like it's a dream, a prophecy, perhaps even a poem. The post-millennials would say that there is figurative language here. And what they're saying is that basically Christ will return after Christians establish the kingdom of God on the earth. And so you can see already how that, that really puts a lot of onus on Christians, right? You've got to get things right around here so that Jesus can come back. That's what post-millennialists believe. And both the pre-millennialists and the post-millennialists, they have a whole laundry list of Bible verses. They say, this is why, and this is why, and this is why that's wrong. Remember, Revelation doesn't stand on its own. It ties back to everything in the Bible. And there's a third major category of people, and these are the ah-millennialists. And they would say that this whole idea of the millennialism, the thousand years, that's all figurative language. What a thousand years means is just a long time. And so you need to be careful about your chronology. And the amillennialists would say that, and I'm just generalizing these so deeply, entire books, I kid you not, like books and libraries have been written about all of these. But the amillennialists would say that Jesus' first coming, which we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Jesus' first coming ushered in the kingdom of God. And when he comes back, sometime in the future from now, there will be judgment. In the meantime, this kingdom that is being talked about where Christ will reign, that's now. That's happening now. Satan is bound and the work of Jesus prevails. That's present tense. You can see how these three perspectives might lead you to different places as far as what do we think about today? What do we get worked up about today? What do we pray about today? But these are the three main categories, premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism. I think some of those have more merits than some of the other ones. That'll be perhaps a different lesson. But here's what I'm thinking about, and here's what I want to challenge you to think about today. What does it take to make you leave a church? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if I were to ask you to raise your hands and say, how many of you have come to Waterway Church after leaving another church? A lot of you would raise your hands, wouldn't you? Now, for some of you, that's because, well, we used to live in Oregon, and now we live in Pennsylvania, and so we left our church. For others of you, it's, well, we used to go to this church, and that church is no more, and so we're here, and we left that church. Some of you, you got married to someone who attended Waterway Church, or maybe you got married and neither of your churches really fit anymore. You say, where are we going? And so you came to Waterway Church or Media Mennonite Church, and, and so you left another church. Others of you have been through the more painful struggles of being in a church and you just felt like the truth was not there in the way that you seemed to sense that it should be. Maybe the preaching was not, maybe the teaching was not, maybe there was something about the way that people did, but, but you had to leave because you didn't feel like it was built on the Word of God, and so you're trying to find that at Waterway. Others of you have had relationship issues with someone, some way, somehow, and I said, I can't be here anymore. I'm just asking you to think for a minute about what would it take for you to leave this place? Maybe a Christmas sermon. 
What are the things that are most important to you? When you come together, and this is not, this is not just a revelation question, is it? This is like a big, huge life question. What are the things that are most important to you and most central to you when you think about coming together in a worship service and the people you're going to choose to worship with? I'm, I'm sure that 90% of you passed at least one other church on your way here today, a church that would have been closer, more convenient, and saved you some gas. But you came here. Why? Do you know why? I'm not going to give you all your answers. All of you have stories that are distinct from the people around you. But have you been thinking about this? Some of you have been thinking about it a lot. Some of you haven't thought about it at all. What I want to ask you is, are these things in Revelation enough to make you say, well, that's enough. I'm out of here. I, I would hope that if we're not reading the Bible at all, you might say, well, I need to find a better place. But what we're doing today is we're reading through this chunk of Revelation. We're seeing what the Bible tells us, and we're acknowledging that lots of different people have different perspectives about this millennium thing, when it happens, how it happens, and what's going to happen before and after it. Let me bottom line it for you. Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago. This is why we still celebrate Christmas. It should be why we still celebrate Christmas. Jesus came to this earth, and he was not what people expected. Jewish people expected the kind of king that we read about in Revelation 19, coming back on a white horse with a robe dipped in blood and getting ready to, to wipe out the rest of the nations and make himself central to all things politically, economically, civically, all around the world. Jesus did not come that way. He arrived as a vulnerable child. This messed with people's expectations, yet he is the Son of God. He was the Son of God. He lived his life as the Son of God, lived a perfect life, did not sin, did not fall into all the traps that you and I have fallen into. And so Jesus, when he was in his early 30s, Jesus began ministry for God. And for about three years, he was a teacher and a preacher and a traveler and a healer. And all of the things that we read about him in the Bible are true. All the things that the Bible says he did, he did. And he established that he fulfilled all of the prophecies of the Old Testament that talked about who this Messiah would be. And he established that indeed he was the Son of God. And then Jesus, in an ultimate act of sacrifice, even though he could have called down, he said, legions of angels, Jesus allowed himself to be hung on a cross, which was not a special kind of a thing, physically speaking. I mean, the cross in the days of Rome was pretty much like a gas chamber or an electric chair today. It was just what the state used to kill people. But Jesus allowed himself to be accused of things he didn't do. Jesus allowed himself to be hung on the cross until he died. And Jesus did that so that when we believe in his power and when we believe in his person and when we believe that he is indeed the son of God, Jesus did that so that we could receive his perfect life, and he died on that cross on behalf of our sins and our mistakes. And so he put them to death. He put them away. The wonderful thing about Jesus, because if the story was over there, big whoop, everybody dies. The amazing thing about Jesus is that he came back to life three days later. We'll celebrate that in about three and a half months. It's called Easter. Jesus came back to life showing that indeed he is something different. He's not just another guy. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just some kind of generous evangelist. Jesus was the Son of God. That's the bottom line from history. 
And as we move to the future, we can argue about exactly how powerful God's kingdom is right here today. We can argue about whether God's kingdom is partially here and still arriving. We can argue about whether God's kingdom is fully here and it just hasn't finally been consummated yet. We can argue about whether God's kingdom is still mostly yet to come. We can argue about all those things, but the bottom line is that God's kingdom will prevail in the fullness of time when God sees it right and he's told us that none of us can predict this time. In the fullness of time, there will be judgment against evil. Everyone will have had a chance to turn to the Lord and turn away from their sin, but a lot of people are going to say, no, I'd rather not turn to God. And so there will be judgment. Evil will be thrown into this eternal lake of fire. We call it often, we call it hell today. And unbelievers will be thrown there also. When? Exactly how? Well, we can get hints. We see things in the Bible, but there's a lot of stuff that we're going to have to wait and see. The bottom line is, it's coming. It's coming. And so one of the challenges that we wrestle with today, and a lot of what comes down with this pre-millennial, post-millennial, all-millennial stuff, is that it does connect to our worldview. And, and so there are people who ask the question, well, you know, there's a picture here of Jesus reigning in his kingdom and Satan being bound. And people say, well, could that possibly be happening now? And we might say, well, kind of. I mean, kind of. We know that Jesus is on his throne now. We know that Jesus is the son of God now. Jesus has offered us victory over the grave now. But then we observe, we look around we see things happening, and, and we say, well, it looks like, yes, Jesus is reigning. <laughs> At the beginning of COVID, uh, some of you remember, but I, I don't know, I have COVID memory, and, and that just doesn't help me sometimes. The last two years are a little bit of a fog. Maybe I'm getting older. Maybe it's just been a strange couple years. I'm not sure. But if you'll recall, we moved into this building on February 16th of 2019, almost two years ago. We had four worship services here, and then COVID hit our part of the world and shut things down for a while. So we had four worship services here in February and March of 2019, and then we had 13 weeks where nobody was in church here. It was, we were staying home, and, and we were fortunate. The timing actually was, was a blessing for us. We had finished this building, and we had just put in this new speaker system, and we had just put in a new system with a basic camera just so that we could record services and have DVDs ready if people couldn't make it to church. We had had a really basic setup like that down at media. But when we moved here, we were able to make that kind of part of our whole system. And so it was up and it was ready and we were starting to learn our way through it. COVID hit. And so with people not being able to be here on Sunday mornings all together and all close like we're used to, what did we do? We said, well, we've got a camera. We've still got a preacher. We've still got a band. Maybe, and some of you remember this, right? We used to come out, the worship team would come out on Friday nights and they would kind of distance themselves apart and we would record that. And then I would preach a sermon into a camera on Saturday night. We'd record it. And then we learned how to, be, uh, how to be techies and kind of put it all together so that by Sunday morning, the video came out and you could watch it on YouTube. You remember that? How many of you have watched a waterway worship service on YouTube? Yeah, almost all of you. That wasn't something that three years ago we said, we really need to get our videos online. But COVID came up and we said, let's do that. And the kids are having a blast, aren't they? You hear that back there in the corner? This COVID thing got, got our attention. And so we started doing some video stuff. And, and we decided that because our internet service is not very good right here at the church, instead of live streaming stuff, we would continue to record it and post it on YouTube because almost everybody can access YouTube. Just this week, I don't think that we got this at the end of 2020, but here at the end of 2021, we got an annual report from YouTube telling us about the videos that we put up in 2021. 
And so just here in 2021, and we don't promote our video service very much. It's just kind of one of those things that you can use as a backup. But hello to all of you who are watching us online sometime today. There are about, uh, about 50 people who check in every week. Some people who watch every week, even though they have other churches that they go to, they get a whole bunch of preaching. There's, there's the kids. Oh, boy. Parents, have fun talking today. But, but YouTube told us this. They said in the year 2021, our YouTube channel has logged 3,670 views. And that adds up. And, and we don't get all these statistics. We don't subscribe to that, uh, to that service. But they told us that all of those views added up to 59,000 minutes of people watching stuff that Waterway Church put on YouTube. Now, we had a handful of announcements that posted through COVID and stuff like that. But almost everything that we put on YouTube has been just recordings of this worship service. That's almost a thousand hours of people at home or in the car or somewhere else engaged in worship. A thousand hours. What does that tell me? Does that tell me that the whole entire world is spiritually numb and nobody cares about Jesus? No, it tells me that Jesus is still doing amazing things because a thousand hours of worship didn't happen in this room. Happened out there somewhere. That's pretty neat. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool to me. So God bless you, those of you who are tuning in via video. I hope that these worship services have been a blessing to you. And so, is Jesus reigning and Satan bound? Well, we might say, kind of. Because indeed, God is victorious in the world. However, if you look at things the other way, if, if you go to a different philosophical framework, we would look and say, well, is, is Satan still running amok and Jesus kind of biding his time until the final judgment? Well, you might say, kind of. I mean, that looks like a realistic way to look at the world too, doesn't it? Now, the Bible talks about that too. Peter says that Satan is a lion roaming around looking to devour people, that we should resist him. And then we can resist him. Yes, we can resist him, but he's still dangerous. This is what Peter told us. Paul says to put on the armor of God. This was all after Jesus lived on this earth. And so, indeed, Jesus had done all the work of his death and resurrection and ascension. And they're still saying, watch out. Satan is active. And so is he fully bound? It doesn't seem like it. And then we have statues at the UN. We say, is Satan still running amok? Is there still evil in our world? Even things that are happening that seem to be beyond just human depravity. It seems like there's a lot of evil going around. This, this week, how many of you got a call from the Oxford School District saying, we have our eyes on this security situation, and we will be dedicating extra security officers to the Oxford schools on Friday? Some of you got that message like I did, right? Yeah, some of you remember that. Why? Well, for you old people like me, who may not be fully plugged in. There was a, there was a, some people called it a challenge, but there was a message on TikTok. I know you don't have TikTok. That's fine. Talk to somebody under the age of 20. They'll fill you in. But there was a message on TikTok that kind of encouraged people, hey, on Friday in the schools, let's get violent. Call in what you need to call in. Do what you need to do. And people got worried about this, right? Because things got around. I did a little bit of homework this week, just a little bit. And there's all kinds of services that you can read, but a, a source called Education Week said that there have been 32 school shootings this year, in 2021. You and I haven't heard about most of them. We've heard of a couple. We heard about the Oxford High School and that, that other Oxford where four people died, if I'm not mistaken. But there have been 32 school shootings in 2021. 
Since August 1st, 24 of those have happened. 24 school shootings. That's like six a month in the last couple of months. Is Satan still at work? And is Jesus still kind of biding his time? Jesus has clearly not wiped out all evil yet, has he? And so this affects our framework. We can get into all kinds of other statistics. We can talk about how we hurt each other. We can talk about how we kill each other. We can talk about the wars and we can look and say, well, it doesn't look as if Jesus has made everything good yet. He's given us opportunities to turn to him, but there is still a lot of freedom for people to be evil. We can see the challenges in figuring this out, right? And so here we are, six days before Christmas, looking forward to celebrating the arrival of our Savior Jesus Christ. Being excited that we can look back and see not just his birth, but his entire life and his death, his resurrection and his ascension. We know who Jesus was. We praise him for who he is. We're excited about what he's doing in our life. But there are details about the Bible that are very difficult. What do we do with this? Well, here's my suggestion for you today and this week. Embrace the truth that you know. I mean, hold on to it with all that you are, right? Embrace the truth that you know. There's a lot that we know. Learn to live with the mystery that confuses us. And I'll tell you, I like to think that I've studied a lot, but there's still a lot of things that are mysterious to me as far as exactly how does this or this or this work. And we have to live with that. There are things that you and I do not know. There are things that you and I do not know. So we have to embrace the truth we know, live with a mystery that confuses us, and encourage each other. Keep getting together. As long as it's called today, keep celebrating God. That can help us. I, I believe that, that the firm foundations of the faith of Christianity, these can hold us together. These are the kind of things that can help us to stand up. Revelation talks over and over and over about those people who stayed standing, who didn't collapse and didn't crumble under the threats of, of the Antichrist or the beast or the devil or whichever season it was. Revelation continues and says, no, it, it's possible to resist evil. It's possible. You don't have to take the mark of the beast on your hand or on your forehead, whatever, whatever exactly that's going to look like. No, you don't have to fall for the lies that Satan puts out in the world. No, you don't have to bow down to the evil powers that demand that you worship something other than God. You don't have to do that. It may cost you your life, but it will not cost you your eternity. We can stand up in the face of all this evil. Some of you in this room have not been standing up, have you? I mean, in a crowd this size, there are going to be some of us sitting here who are saying, oh, I feel like I'm blowing it right now. Yeah? Yeah. Y you may be. But what we continue to preach here and what we continue to live and what we must continue to remind each other of is the truth that even if you've made a mess of your life, there is forgiveness for that because time's not up yet. God is still calling his people. He's still calling us saying, I don't know, well, God knows. I don't care where you've been and it doesn't matter what you've done. If you give it to Jesus, he will forgive you. You are not disqualified yet. If you're able to be here, if you're able to hear this, if you're able to make a response that says, Jesus, I accept you, you can be saved. It's not over yet. But it's really hard to live well by yourself. And so we're going to need to continue to be worshiping together. Now, maybe you're a guest here today and this is not your place. Cool. Go back to your other church and live there with vitality. 
standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Okay, take this message out with you wherever you're going. Go and tell it on the mountains. That's a bit of what Revelation 20 talks about. Next week, we're going to get into Revelation 21, and it's going to be an awful lot of fun. For now, I'm going to leave you with some mystery and just ask you to continue worshiping God with all that you know. I think that's enough. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I, uh, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living, for allowing yourself to be killed on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for rising from the grave and for offering your salvation to all who turn to you. Lord, it's a hard thing for us to not have every single detail figured out. Lord, there are some of us in the room who struggle with uncertainty. Lord, there are some of us in the room who have a hard time believing anything if it's not specifically and perfectly laid out in front of us. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us if we've not been living by faith. But Lord, I thank you that we can have an informed faith. I thank you that there are so many things that we do know that your Bible is very clear about. And so, Lord, I pray you'll help us to rest in those things and study those things and argue about those things and have good discussions about these things. But, Lord, help us to have wisdom to know which things are primary and essential and which things are secondary and, and where we can agree to disagree. Lord, as we navigate this, help us to do it well, please. And, Lord, as we walk through these days, we don't know how much time is left until, until you start to really shake things up. But Lord, we declare that we are with you. Lord, we want to follow you in all that we do. We want to give our lives to you. We want to build our homes and our families. We want to build this church on you and only you. So Lord, please help us to stay focused on the things that need our focus. And Lord, help us to hold lightly those things that don't need so much attention. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to study it well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.